Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. everybody, and welcome into the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes. On today's episode, we've come to the end of the series that, for many people, is what sparked the flame of the Star Wars Expanded Universe. It's the last command by Timothy Zahn, the finale of the Heir to the Empire trilogy, the original Thrawn trilogy, the Zahn trilogy, whatever it is you want to call it. The trilogy is the most popular story from Star Wars Legends, and for many people, Star Wars literature overall. But, before we get to today's story, we have a listener question. This one comes from listener Rusar Vareth, who's quickly becoming a frequent contributor to the podcast. Rusar says, I've been enjoying the Book of Boba Fett quite a lot, especially the flashback scenes with the Tuscans, but the timeline has me confused. In Episode 4... Fett says that he was trapped in the Sarlacc all those years ago. So how long was he with the Tuscans? How long was he by himself in the desert after their death? Thank you very much for the question, Rusar. Like you, I've been enjoying the Book of Boba Fett, but I would also like some clarification as to the timeline of what's going on in the Boba Fett show and the Mandalorian show. But I think we can make a pretty good educated guess. The Mandalorian starts about five years after Return of the Jedi, with the second season of the show ending about a year later. That's about the time the Book of Boba Fett starts. So, let's look at the flashbacks. I'm going to say that Boba escaped the Sarlacc sometime between three days and a week after falling in. Because when he emerges from the sand, the fire on Jabba's sail barge has already burned itself out. Then the Tuscans find him. Now, in my opinion, for Boba to have grown so close to the Tuscans, to become so integrated into the tribe that found him, and to feel such a sense of loss when that tribe was killed, I think he was with that tribe for about five-ish years. Four years, five years, somewhere in that area. Meaning... Boba was wandering the desert and surveilling Jabba's palace for about 6 to 12 months after the tribe was killed. Honestly, what I really want to know is the time frame of the season for the present time of Boba Fett. Has he been a crime boss for a month? Three months? Six? I don't think the season has lasted a year but I also don't think it's only been a few weeks. Regardless, I'm really looking forward to the season finale next week. How about you listeners? Do you like the first two live-action shows on Disney+, Plus, The Mandalorian, and The Book of Boba Fett? 
What about the animated show, The Bad Batch? Which shows are you looking forward to, live action or animated in the future? Let me know. And if you'd like to be a really cool person like Rusar, please contact the show. You can email me at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or send me a tweet at legendslounge1. Ask me a question, send a message. And remember, you can get your voice on the show. Just record a short three to five minute audio file about any of the upcoming books on the schedule posted on Twitter and email it to me. Just please record it in MP3 or MP4 format. Now, I'm still working on how to get guests on the show so that we can actually have a conversation, but I haven't quite figured out the logistics of that yet or how I'd work it into the recording schedule. But stay tuned. Now, it's time for today's book, The Last Command by Timothy Zahn, the final book in the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Grab yourself a drink. Let's head in to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. The story begins with the New Republic shaking in its boots. Grand Admiral Thrawn has 180 new dreadnoughts and is growing clones to crew them. But where are the clones coming from? Luke Skywalker meets with Talon Card and says the New Republic will pay for information about where the clones are originating. Card takes the offer to a meeting with the heads of a bunch of other smuggling organizations on the planet Trogan. But the meeting is interrupted when a squad of Imperials attacks. The smugglers fight off the Imperials, but the attack turns the smugglers against the Empire. It turns out Grand Admiral Thrawn knew all about the smuggler meeting but he specifically ordered the garrison on Trogon to leave it alone. However, Niles Ferrier paid one of the squads to attack the smugglers, hoping to win Card's trust so he could deliver Card to Thrawn later. Thrawn offers Ferrier one chance to fix the situation by fabricating evidence implicating Card in the attack. Elsewhere, Luke Skywalker arrives on Honiger to repair his X-Wing following a brief encounter with an Imperial Star Destroyer. When he reaches the surface, he's taken to a hidden river gorge, where the Nogri have started growing agricultural plants for the first time in over four decades. Luke meets with Kabarak, Clan Kimbar, the young Nogri warrior that brought his sister Leia to Honiger. Kabarak tells Luke that the gorge represents the future of the Nogri and freedom from the Empire. But, as the two chat, Kabarak admits that most of the Nogri know that the small green space won't be enough to save their world. Luke says the New Republic can help the Nogri relocate to another planet to save their people. But suddenly, the Force shows Luke a vision of Leia, Han, and their infant twins in danger on Coruscant. Now on the New Republic capital, Leia is giving birth to Jaina and Jason and she enjoys a few days' maternity leave from New Republic politics. Leia is speaking to Winter one evening when her aide reveals her suspicions about Mara Jade, Card's lieutenant who has been convalescing in the medical wing of the Imperial Palace since she was injured at the Katana Fleet battle. Leia goes to Mara's room and asks her if she used to work for the Empire. Mara reveals 
Not only did she work for the emperor, she used to be his hand, one of Palpatine's most trusted agents, who could hear his orders from anywhere in the galaxy. Mara also says that she's going to kill Leia's brother Luke, but Leia surprises her. Perhaps Mara isn't the one who wants Luke dead, Leia says. Confused and frustrated, Mara tries to contact Card to get him to get her off of Coruscant, but her danger sense goes off as she leaves her room. Someone has infiltrated the residential levels of the palace. Mara meets with Lando and Garmbel Iblis in the hallway, and the three of them realize who the Imperial Commandos are after, Leia and her newborn twins. Using the Force, Mara warns Leia about the danger. Following a brief firefight, Han, Lando, and Mara repel the kidnappers. But the squad commander claims Mara is still an Imperial agent, and she let his team into the palace. This leads to Mara being placed on house arrest. Later, Leia goes to thank Mara and tells her about Thrawn using clones to crew his ships. Mara says the Emperor once showed her a storehouse of clone cylinders on a planet called Wayland, a planet not listed on any chart. Later that night, Luke arrives and decides to head to Wayland to destroy the storehouse. Luke, Han, Lando, and Chewie break Mara out of her custody and head off to Wayland. As they leave, a group of ten Nogri arrive, disguised as Jawas, and pledge to protect Leia and her twins. At the Bilbringy shipyards, the Smuggler's Alliance attacks and destroys an unfinished Star Destroyer. During the fight, Card notices 22 asteroids grouped at one end of the shipyards. Curious, because asteroids shouldn't be there. Unfortunately, there isn't time to figure out what they're doing there before the Chimera arrives, and the smugglers have to escape. Now, following the attack, the crazed Jedi Master Joris Sabaoth demands that Thrawn take him to Coruscant so he can get Leia and his Jedi twins. Thrawn agrees after he loads the asteroids and prepares them for the journey. However, when they reach Coruscant, Sabaoth suddenly has a change of mind and demands to go to Wayland. Thrawn sends him off in a shuttle as the attack on Coruscant begins. When the New Republic raises the planetary shield, Thrawn orders to launch the asteroids, equipped with cloaking devices to hide them. He also orders more than 200 fake launches and then retreats, leaving the New Republic crippled in fear. They can't detect the asteroids, but they can't risk lowering the planetary shield to import food, water, and other supplies. Elsewhere, Card and the Smuggling Alliance meets at his new base, but this time, he's confronted by the others over the attack on Trogan. Mazik, one of the other bosses, accuses Card of orchestrating the attack. However, as everyone interrogates Card, Niles Ferrier slips up, revealing information that only the actual traitor could have known. Exposed, Ferrier tries to escape, holding Card hostage. He lets Card go just as he gets to his ship and takes off. Mazik calls two of his ships to pursue Ferrier, blasting the ship thief out of the sky. Meanwhile, our heroes arrive on Wayland. Han decides to land the Falcon a long way from Mount Tantus, so the Empire can't see them approach. But it means they're going to have quite a hike. After a few hours, Mara asks Luke about his confrontation with the Emperor. Luke says he wasn't the one that killed Palpatine. It was Vader. Over the next few days, Luke tries to help Mara practice with her Force abilities. Why? 
she asked curiously. Because, Luke says, he believes she'll need them whenever they face the forces at Mount Tantus. As they continue, the group realizes they're being followed. And not only that, someone is helping them. The path through the jungle is being cleared ahead of them, and they find the carcasses of several jungle predators. Han, as usual, has a bad feeling about this, and one night they discover what's going on. A group of eight Nogri hunters have been traveling in a circle around them, keeping them safe. The leader of the group apologizes for not revealing themselves from the beginning, but they had promised Leia they'd remain hidden while protecting her husband and brother. The groups combine and continue toward Mount Tantus. One night, Mara speaks to one of the Nogri and learns that Luke is Vader's son. Shocked, Mara realizes she's not the one who wants Luke dead. It's the Emperor. In his last moments, Palpatine called out to Mara to kill Luke Skywalker as revenge for Vader's betrayal. As Mara comes to terms with the voice in her head, Sabaoth reaches out to her. He's here on Wayland, and he's waiting for her to come to him. On Coruscant, Leia and Winter are using their time to try to figure out who Delta Source is, the intelligence agency sending information to Thrawn. With the help from Card's slicer Ghent, they figured out that whoever or whatever Delta Source is, all the leaked conversations took place in the Grand Corridor outside of the Senate Chambers. In the corridor... Leia watches people walking past the colorful Chala trees, with reds and purples erupting in the tree's bark depending on what people say. And she figures it out. The trees themselves are Delta Source. Leia takes the revelation to New Republic Intelligence, who dig up the trees and find old transmitters hidden in their roots. NRI removes the transmitters, cutting off Delta Source. Card arrives on Coruscant to pick up Mara and Ghent, but, of course, the planetary shield is still up. When Card requests to land, Leia and Garmbrell Iblis tell him it's impossible. Coruscant is under siege from a number of cloaked asteroids. Card asks how many of the asteroids have already been cleared out. Twenty-two, Leia answers, but there may be many more. Card tells her about the 22 asteroids he saw at the Bill Bringy shipyards, saying it's safe to lower the shield, and demands permission to land and see his people. When Card lands, Leia tells him about Mara traveling to Wayland, leading the strike team to destroy Thrawn's cloning facility. From their discussion, Leia also learns about the Isalamiri Thrawn took from Mirkur. She realizes that Thrawn must be using the force-dampening reptiles to grow the clones much more quickly than during the Clone Wars. It also means that Luke and Mara won't be able to use the force when they arrive at the storehouse. Leia convinces Carr to take her to Wayland to try and warn Han and Luke. Now when the strike team reaches Mount Tantus, Luke and Mara can sense that the force is empty around the mountain. Han suggests they abort the mission, but Luke disagrees. The Isalamiri aren't here for them. They've been brought here to neutralize Sabaoth, he says. The group sneaks into the fortress and discovers thousands more Spartai cylinders than they ever expected. The explosives that they brought won't be nearly enough to destroy them all. 
Mara says the emperor always had a contingency for fear of losing his power and possessions. And, if there's a self-destruct, it's probably in the fortress's throne room. Luke and Mara head up to the throne room, while Han, Lando, and Chewie try to figure out another way to destroy the facility. Han orders R2 to plug into one of the computer ports, and the droid discovers that Sabaoth is currently being held in that throne room. Han sends 3PO off to tell Lando and Chewie, while he goes after Luke. At Bilbringi, Thrawn springs a trap on the New Republic and the Smugglers' Alliance. However, the Smugglers figure a way out, destroying a Golan II space station as they escape. Now that maneuver opens a hole for the New Republic forces, allowing them to escape the shipyard trap and out into open space where they can counterattack the Imperials. Back at Mount Tantus, Luke and Mara reach the throne room to find Sabaoth. The Mad Jedi Master has a surprise for them, destroying the Salamiri in the mountain and restoring the Force. He then attacks, shooting Force lightning at the two. But Luke jumps in and blocks. Then, Sabaoth reveals a clone of Luke himself, grown from the hand Luke lost at Cloud City and wielding Anakin's lightsaber. The two begin dueling while Sabaoth works on Mara, trying to entice her to become his apprentice. While the fighting continues in the throne room, Leia and Card arrive on Wayland. They enter the Mount Tantus facility and meet up with Han outside the throne room. When they enter the room itself and see what's happening, Han tries to shoot Sabaoth. The Dark Jedi blocks the shot and goes berserk, blasting Han, Leia, and Card with Force Lightning. In the chaos, Leia's lightsaber falls near Mara, who takes advantage of the distraction and steps up to the clone Luke, killing him and fulfilling the Emperor's final command. Enraged, Sabaoth tries to bring the ceiling down on top of the facility, but Mara strikes him down as well with Leia's lightsaber, destroying the Dark Jedi. At the Billbringy shipyards, Captain Pelion receives a message from the Mount Tantus garrison about the attack on the facility. The message also says there are a group of Nogri helping Luke's strike team. As Pelion turns to give the report to Thrawn, he finds the Grand Admiral sitting in his command chair, a Nogri dagger buried in his chest. Thrawn's Nogri bodyguard, Rook, declares its revenge for the decades the Empire kept the Nogri enslaved and the devastation of their planet Honiger. Rook flees the bridge, but he's killed trying to escape the Chimera. Realizing the Imperial forces have no chance to win the battle without Thrawn, Pelion orders a retreat. Time for a break. When we return, I'll talk more about The Last Command and the importance of the original Thrawn trilogy to Star Wars. I'm Aaron Motes. Stay tuned. You're listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. Thank you for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, where we celebrate the books from Star Wars Legends. But allow me to take a moment to recommend a book from Star Wars canon. Tarkin tells the story of a scion of Iriadu. A distinguished soldier and politician, Governor Wilhuff Tarkin rises through the Imperial ranks, believing that the fear of force is the most efficient way to rule. It's a story of action and intrigue. That's Tarkin by James Luceno.
Welcome back to the Star Wars Legends Lounge, the show that celebrates the books from Star Wars Legends. I'm Aaron Motes, and today I'm talking about The Last Command by Timothy Zahn, the final book in the Heir to the Empire trilogy. Now, as I said in the last episode when we talked about Dark Force Rising, I believe that overall, the Heir to the Empire trilogy is greater than the sum of its parts. I think the first book, Heir to the Empire, is my favorite, and it's my favorite by quite a bit. I think Dark Force Rising and The Last Command aren't as appealing to me. Now, this is the sixth time that I've read the series, as far as I can tell. I tried to think about it uh, about a week ago, and it's this is either the fifth or the sixth. Now, I've been reading these books since they were released in 91, 92, 93. I got the first one when I was 13 years old. So it's not like I don't have some experience here with this story. I think Dark Force Rising is the weakest of the three books. I think The Last Command has some really good parts in it. I think that the ending of the book, the finale, where the two fights are taking place at the Mount Tantus facility on Wayland and at the Bill Bringy shipyards are not as compelling as the rest of the book is. Now, as I've said before, I like books that move. I like books with a lot of plot where you zoom from place to place. And The Last Command, you could tell when I went over the recap of the story, has a lot of plot. It might have a little bit too much, and maybe Zahn could have used another 100 pages to flesh them out a little better, in my opinion. But I'm not saying at all that I don't like this book, because I really do like this book. I like the entire series. I just think Heir to the Empire is the strongest of the books in the series. But that's not really the important part of The Last Command or the Heir to the Empire trilogy. I cannot overstate the importance of this trilogy when it comes to the Star Wars Expanded Universe. And I'm not just talking about the Legends Expanded Universe. I'm talking about the Star Wars Expanded Universe as a whole, be it Legends or Canon. Because when these stories came out, it was pretty much the doldrums for Star Wars. Folks that are older than me remember when the original trilogy was out in theaters in 77, 80, and 83. I was only six years old in 83. So my exposure to Star Wars was on the first set of VHS tapes that came out in the early to mid-80s. I also remember the Ewok television movies, Caravan of Courage and Battle for Endor in the mid-80s. I didn't really watch much of the Ewok cartoon or the droids cartoon. I remember watching them a little bit, more so the Ewok cartoon, but that was pretty much all we had. Now, some people will tell you, yes, we did have a couple books. You know, you had the Lando Calrissian adventures and you had the Han Solo adventures, and particularly the Han Solo adventures are still pretty popular in the expanded universe. There are a few people that some of their favorite stories came from those books. Uh, Pablo Hidalgo, one of the 
members of the Lucasfilm story group. One of his favorite stories is from that original Han Solo trilogy. I'm pretty sure it's Han Solo at Star's End is one of his favorite stories in Star Wars. But again, that was about it. It wasn't like the Lando Calrissian adventures and the original Han Solo adventures were that popular. You had the Marvel comics, but in 1991, when Heir to the Empire was released, and then the other two books in the trilogy in the next two years, it sparked a tremendous amount of content in the Star Wars publishing universe. I was one of those people that gobbled it up. I honestly, in 1991, didn't know anything about Star Wars publishing. I didn't know about the Lando Calrissian Adventures or the Han Solo Adventures or Splinter of the Mind's Eye. All I know is Christmas 91, I opened up a package in my stocking and it was a Star Wars book. And I thought it was kind of neat. I didn't really give it much of a thought. I didn't actually start reading it until like two or three months later. It was like February or March when I finally opened it up. And once I did, I could not put it down. After I finished the book, I went to the mall, went to the bookstore, and found a section of Star Wars books. You know, those first couple. And that's where my adventure in the Legends universe began. As I said, it sparked a tremendous interest in the expanded universe on the publishing side. Of course, the story itself gave Star Wars tremendous characters to play with. Grand Admiral Thrawn, Mara Jade, Talon Card, Captain Pelion. All of them would return throughout the Legends timeline. Grand Admiral Thrawn and Rook have made it into canon. So even though the Heir to the Empire trilogy may not be my favorite story arc in Legends, I personally believe that it is the most important story in all of Star Wars publishing. And you absolutely have to hand it to Timothy Zahn. Now, are there some things to nitpick about the book and about the trilogy as a whole? Sure. Zahn's writing style is not one of my favorite in Legends. There are five or six other authors that I prefer their writing style, but that... That is just a personal preference. As I said a couple minutes ago, I personally think the ending of The Last Command is a little weak. I think starting about midway through the book, Thrawn actually kind of gets sidelined for Sabaoth. And I think I understand what Zahn was doing. I think he was I think he was focusing on the forces influence over the good and evil in the galaxy and how the confrontation between Luke, Mara and Sabaoth 
in a way mirrored the confrontation between Luke, Vader, and the Emperor at the end of Return of the Jedi. But over the first two books, especially two and a half, if you count the beginning of this book, he had built up Thrawn so much that the battle at the Bill Bringy shipyards is pretty weak. There's not much there. And while the Thrawn of the original Zahn trilogy is my favorite Thrawn, and it's because even though he is a tactical genius, he does occasionally make mistakes. The way he's defeated just isn't satisfying, in my opinion. I appreciate the fact that he didn't see Leia opening the eyes of the Nogri and how the Nogri would turn on the Empire. I appreciate that. But for me, I think it would have been more satisfying to have the New Republic defeat Thrawn on the battlefield, to outsmart him tactically. I don't think you can argue that Thrawn takes a little bit of a backseat, though, in the second half of The Last Command. The vast majority of chapters at the end of the book are spent at Wayland in the throne room with Sabaoth, Luke, and Mara. Now we have to address the Luke in the room. The one aspect of the Heir to the Empire trilogy that everyone makes fun of, and I make fun of it. It is goofy. It's probably a choice that Zahn looked back on and wished he could have done differently. Now, reports are that originally Zahn wanted to bring back Obi-Wan Kenobi in clone form, but Lucasfilm nixed that idea. It wasn't going to be mad Jedi Master clone Joris Sabaoth. It was going to be a clone of Obi-Wan Kenobi. But Lucasfilm said no. So, Zahn had to come up with another plan. And this was the plan he came up with. Now, one thing that irked me about this book at the time, and I don't know if anyone could ever find it, but my freshman year of college, maybe my sophomore year, one of those two, I actually wrote a... WordPress article about the ending of this book and the clone Luke. Not just that it's the clone, but the fact that Sabaoth somehow got Luke's severed hand from Bespin and Luke's original lightsaber, his father Anakin's lightsaber. This is five years after Return of the Jedi, which was about 18 months after Empire Strikes Back. So, you're talking almost six years later. Somehow, Sabaoth learns that Luke was at Cloud City, is able to somehow go to Cloud City without Thrawn knowing, unless he did it before he ever met Thrawn, somehow retrieve Luke's severed hand in Cloud City, which was apparently never cleaned up. No random janitor found a severed hand and a lightsaber and was able to get it back to Wayland and create a clone. 
I just find it ridiculous. And I think a whole lot of other people find it ridiculous. It's the same thoughts that I have when it was revealed that one thing J.J. Abrams considered for the very beginning of The Force Awakens was to show Luke's severed hand clutching Anakin's lightsaber floating through space. Of course, that's 30-some-odd years after The Empire Strikes Back. In my opinion, and that's all this is, my opinion alone, I do not understand the fascination with Anakin's lightsaber after it was lost at Cloud City. Be it from Zahn in this book or its appearance in the sequel trilogy of movies. I just don't understand it. But it is what it is. You just have to accept it. And I have. Anyway, while I think The Last Command is a solid book, it's a fun read. And the Heir to the Empire trilogy as a whole is a really good read. I think its importance to the Star Wars Expanded Universe is actually better than the story itself. And we're going to continue to see it going forward because Heir to the Empire is influencing some of the choices being made in Star Wars television today. As Rusar Vareth said a couple episodes ago, on the Bad Batch, we have the Mount Tantus facility. Thrawn is in Rebels, and his name was dropped by Ahsoka Tano in the second season of The Mandalorian. She's still searching for him. Will she eventually find Thrawn at the Mount Tantus facility trying to grow clones? Who knows? But some of the signs are there. So even though this was my sixth time reading this story, it's always fun to get back to. And I'm glad I reread them again for this podcast. I hope you guys enjoyed it as well. So, time to wrap up. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Star Wars Legends Lounge. On the next one, I'm going to get back to the list of Legends books that I still haven't read yet. And there's only 18 books left out of the 176. Next episode, it's Jedi Twilight by Michael Reeves, the first book in the Coruscant Knights trilogy. So please, join me in two weeks on February 18th. If you have a question or comment for the show, send me an email at swlegendslounge at gmail.com or a tweet at legendslounge1. I'd love to hear from you. And if you want to add your voice to the show, please feel free to record your own three to five minute audio file and email it to swlegendslounge at gmail.com. Check out the schedule on the show's Twitter page and see if there's a book you have an opinion on. But remember, Record it in MP3 or MP4 format, please. Once again, thank you so much for listening to the Star Wars Legends Lounge. I'm Aaron Motes. May the Force be with you. And remember, there's always a bit of truth in Legends.